There's nothing else to talk. If Aaron Rodgers set out on a Wednesday in season and they said limited or no activity or something like that, nobody's going to bat an eye because it's in season. But it's the offseason. It's the offseason. Let's say he did tweak his calf. He, it's three and a half months to open the day. So what? Hey, now it's cracking. Welcome to the Jim Rome Podcast. We're up to episode 268, and this one is a beauty. I am joined by one of my favorite guys, a freshly retired vet of the National Football League, a six-time Pro Bowler, a three-time All-Pro, one of the best defensive tackles of his generation. My guest this week is none other than Gerald McCoy. Gerald was a two-time first-team All-American in Oklahoma. He went third overall in the 2010 draft to Tampa and clear from the very beginning, this dude was special. He had a hell of a career, but believe this, he has got a personality to match his abilities on the field, and you're about to hear it yourself. So let's get right into it. It is episode 268 with former All-Pro defensive tackle Gerald McCoy, and it's coming at you right now. Gerald, my man, you announced your retirement from the game recently, and guys rarely get to go out on their own terms. It's often so difficult. I got to check in. First of all, my guy, how you doing? And then how hard did it hit when it became official? Oh, man. Uh, First off, appreciate you having me. Um, Secondly, um, you know, it took a minute to get to that point because, uh, you know, uh, football – you know, mortality is like uh, it hits us all differently. You know, you think you're immortal, you think you're a superhuman, and then eventually your knees tell you you're not. And uh, it took me a second to come to grips with that, you know. But once I did, man, I was so at peace. And uh, my retirement video, I like redid it like four or five times because the first time I did it, the first draft I had, I had like, uh some music in there but it was kind of like sad and my wife was like nah don't put that on there and then i redid it it was more upbeat and my boy was like nah gee that's not you so what i eventually ended up going with was because i wanted everybody to know that me retiring is not a sad thing it's a celebration of everything that i've done over my career and i'm at peace with it and i'm celebrating you know the game of football and what it gave to me so yeah, man. Once I once I finally got to that point, shoot, I'm great. I'm and I'm in I'm in a great space mentally. Oh, dude, I love that so much. I love that response. In fact, you used the word that I was going to use. It's a celebration of your football life. It's a celebration of that aspect of your life. That's exactly the way to look at it. I'm so glad that you're in that headspace. So, what about the next chapter of your life? Have you given that a lot of thought? What's that look like? Yeah, I have. You know, I've been uh, doing a lot of business ventures. You know, because I always here's what I always tell people, people who play this game and play it at the highest level. I always tell them, man, um, give this game everything you have, because especially if this game is, you know, change your life. But remember that football is what you do. Don't make it who you are. And I think people who struggle the most with leaving the game are people who have this has been who they are and not what they do. So I've always made a lot of plans prior to retiring. Um, I always knew that I was going to be on camera doing something, whether that was broadcast, whether that was acting, uh, something of that sort. But and because that's just 
what I've always had a passion for, man. I used to catch myself um, at the school plays in high school. In college, I would randomly go to the school plays. You know, when I was in New York recently, I went to Broadway. You know, I just uh, acting is a real passion of mine. But being on camera, being able to show my personality, whether it's talking about football, basketball, pop culture, it doesn't matter. I know a camera being on me is what I want to do. And um, I'm working towards doing that right now. Because, dude, you got it. You got it. I've always said this about it. It's hard to describe what it is, but you know it when you see it. You mentioned Broadway, man. Broadway is a different deal now. I'm curious, what was that like? And when you talk about acting, what kind of, what kind of acting do you want to do? Yeah, when I say Broadway, um, my wife has taken my daughters to see The Nutcracker yeah. on Broadway. Well, she took, we went and took them on Christmas in 2019 in Carolina when I was with the Panthers. They did a Nutcracker in Carolina, and I thought that was amazing. And my wife was like, you ain't seen nothing until you've seen, uh, seen this on Broadway. So when I went down there, being a huge Michael Jackson fan, I remember when the Michael Jackson tour, they was doing the traveling show. I remember when they did that, and um, it was, I mean, it was phenomenal. It was incredible. And then they made the main stay in Vegas. Well, when I heard about the Broadway show, I'm like, I mean, it's MJ. I got to go see it. Man, listen, this is this is my PSA to everybody who goes to New York and you have a couple extra days. If you have an opportunity to go see the Michael Jackson Broadway show, you are going to see something that you will be – in that field of what they do, you can compare it to the best of whatever else you've seen. Best movie, best sports game, best uh, food in Broadway. The Michael Jackson Broadway show, you can compare it with the best of whatever field. The show is that good. See, you know, it's really interesting you say that because when you talk about Michael Jackson and you talk about regardless of what field we're talking about, you know, I knew Kobe Bryant a little bit and he and I lived not that far from each other and we would talk sometimes and he would talk about Michael Jackson and he would talk, I mean, Kobe... God, he loved Michael Jackson. He loved his process. He loved his grind. He loved his work ethic. I don't want to paraphrase the Mamba, but he made it sound like he had as much of an impact on him personally and professionally as almost anybody. Like when you talk about Michael Jackson the way you do, is it just about the performance and the music, or did you take that same kind of process and grind from him? It's crazy you say Kobe because my favorite athlete of all time is Kobe Bryant. And, uh, my favorite everything is Michael Jackson. So um, what I've always done is the people that I admire or study, I literally study everything they do. So I study Michael Jackson, how he prepared his play. I mean, not his plays, his performances. I study Kobe's interviews, um, the time he would get up, how many hours he slept, how many hours Michael Jackson slept. I mean, how they prepare for everything they do. I do the same with Muhammad Ali, Floyd Mayweather. I did it with Warren Sapp. Shoot, I currently do it with Aaron Donald and people like that. Like, if I admire you and what you do and I feel like you're special at what you do, I study everything you do because you can. You never know what you can take from that person. So hearing Kobe say he admired his work ethic and he studied Michael Jackson. Well, Kobe, I did the same thing with you and I did the same thing with Michael Jackson, man, because it's hard to it's hard to get to a level of that status, which very few have gotten there. That's why they are who they are, but they give you something to reach for and they give you a blueprint that you can follow 
if you want to get to that point or somewhere close. All right, so it, it's understandable why Kobe might be your guy, Gerald, but specifically, I mean, as great an athlete as you are, I mean, you could pick anybody, and you picked somebody in a different sport. Why was Kobe your guy? Why was he your all-time favorite athlete? Oh, it was his mentality. Yep. You know, you watch Kobe, and he was special. Like, he was an artist. You know, some people play basketball, and they're really good at it. You watch some people, and you like, Allen Iverson – had the biggest heart we've ever seen in basketball. You know, being that small, being a scoring champion, being an MVP, dealing with the adversity he did in high school, still getting to go to Georgetown, number one pick, everything he did, all the scrutiny he received, and he still was able to be dominant on the court. You watch Allen Iverson and you say, hey, man, that dude was really good at basketball. But then you go watch Kobe, and it's like he's painting a picture on the court with his footwork, he took what MJ did. See, Kobe said he hated to see or hated to hear people compare him and Jordan and ask who will win one-on-one. He said to stop doing it because there was no Kobe without Jordan. What you love about Kobe came from Jordan. But see, what Kobe did is he took what Jordan did and his mentality and his game, and he, he like, expanded on it. So the pump fakes, the fadeaway, Kobe uh, – he added a reverse pivot to his stuff. You know, he had more better ball handling than Jordan. He added a three ball to his game. But when you watch Kobe, it's like he's painting a picture with how he's playing the game. I mean, he's the best tough shot maker we ever seen in basketball. And you just watch him and how he approaches the game. And then you see stuff like tearing his Achilles and walking, making both free throws and walking off the court. You know, you just see a mentality. And then when you watch the last dance with Jordan, every to have the greats of that caliber sitting in the opposing locker room all holding a conversation about a 19-year-old kid, clearly he's different. Clearly his mentality stands apart. And when you hear about Kobe, how he prepared and how he did things, uh, Tim Grover, they him and Jordan had the same trainer. So when you when you watch them, he'll tell you. Jordan worked extremely hard, but he worked smart. But there's nobody he's ever worked with that worked harder than Kobe. Phil Jackson said the same way, said the same thing. So when I'm watching Kobe, that's what I'm getting from him. How he approached the game, his mentality, and then when he stepped on the court, just the picture he would paint with how he played the game. Discover credit cards do something pretty awesome. At the end of your first year, they automatically double all the cash back you've earned. That's right. Everything you have earned doubled. All the cash back from eating at your favorite restaurant doubled. All the cash back from that trip where you sort of learned to snowboard also doubled. And the best part, you don't have to do anything ridiculous to get it. Discover does it automatically. Seriously, though. See terms and check it out for yourself at discover.com match. That's it. Mamba mentality and how you do anything is how you do everything. You know, Joe, you mentioned a few athletes. This is interesting to me because one of the guys you mentioned was Warren Sapp. Now, you look at the career you had in Tampa. You had 54 and a half sacks while you were there. That's fourth best in team history behind only Leroy Selman, Sapp, Simeon Rice. And you mentioned Sapp and you just mentioned him in a positive way. But the, and the two of you were really close for a long time, but then something happened where you were no longer on the same page, and then all of a sudden there was a problem, there was a beef. Can you get into that? What happened exactly? Because that was your guy. Yeah, no, nah, he is my guy. And and um, 
to like clear the air, um, Sap and I had held a conversation after I did the interview on Chris Long's show. Um, he called me and he called me and we had a discussion and we came to the agreement that it was a huge misunderstanding and that what he said, well, there was no problem with what he said or what he did. And once I understood what he was saying and how he went about it and he understood where I was coming from, we came to the agreement. We just needed to talk and have a conversation. Sap, even when we had our disagreement, I never said that he wasn't who he was. Sap is a first ballot Hall of Fame defensive tackle. There are five in history and number six is still playing. Okay. He was the pioneer of the under tackle. Yes, you had your uh, Keith Millard, you had your John Randalls, but when Tony Dungy brought the Tampa two to Tampa and he needed somebody to play that position, Sap made it what it was moving forward. So he's a pioneer of so much. He's a dominant player and he was an integral part in my career and Sap is forever my guy. But see, this is how I, I always tell people this. With family, best friends, whoever it is, business, whatever. If you say that that's your guy or that's your girl or y'all are family, if y'all can't have a falling out and then it comes back, then it never was real. So Sapinize disagreement, even though it got public, we handled it behind the scenes and we are right back to where we was. So me and Sap are good. By the way, I'm glad. First of all, I'm really glad to hear that. I like SAP. I've always liked SAP. I'm mm -hmm. glad that you guys are back on the same page. And by the way, that's what you do. You communicate as long as there's communication. For the backstory, for those who don't know what we're talking about, and I understand that you fixed it, can you just say really quickly what happened? What was said? What precipitated that whole thing? Oh, well, when I left um, when I left Tampa, and uh, Tampa and I agreed to split, um, I went on um, – undisputed and they asked me about my jersey number and i felt like with even like with what you just said about my sack numbers but let's take that out there's only three other people who has more accolades than me besides winning super bowls um and that's brooks um uh, sap and mr selman now you have your ron days who's a hall of famer you have your john lynch who's a hall of famer and i always will say that those guys should be in the hall of fame and they are why I love the Bucks so much growing up. But with everything that had happened at the time, I thought that the way the Bucks went about doing things, I just didn't agree with. And Sapp said what he said. You know, he just said he he's not at this level or he doesn't sit at the table with us or whatever. And when he said that, I had no problem with that because we've talked about that before. But the problem was is when – it happened. We could we didn't communicate. So it was almost like he made a statement like that and then just kind of like shied away from it when I'm like, I'm calling you so we can talk. And um, we just never talked. So it just kind of it rubbed me the wrong way. <clears throat> and it just that's just the way it went. But, yeah, it was just some comments he made um, after I left Tampa, which were OK. My issues were not with the comments. And I think that's what people thought. I had an issue with. So, you know, it was just a big misunderstanding. That's, you know, water under the bridge. Appreciate you. Appreciate you sharing that, Gerald. You just, too, you just had to come together and chop it up and fix it. And you did.
Are you craving some protein after a good workout? Do not make a shake or eat a bar. Instead, grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Why Old Trapper? Because Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender and made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. Old Trapper is a family-owned business that takes smoked beef very seriously, and you can taste it in every single bite. Who wants dried tough beef in a bag. Nobody. It's like eating a shoe. Old Trapper is the real deal, and it comes in four amazing flavors. Old Fashioned is sweetened with a touch of brown sugar goodness, teriyaki, peppered, and hot and spicy for those of you who like to take things up a notch. Next time you want a great protein and energy snack that you can have anytime, anywhere, grab some Old Trapper beef jerky. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Oh, Trapper, what's your beef? You mentioned Tampa. Let me ask you this. You uh, you had huge years with the Bucks, and obviously you have a lot of love for that franchise. I've personally always defended Baker Mayfield. Like, I want this guy to do well. I've always liked this guy, that chip on his shoulder, that grit. He might be down to his last legitimate shot at starting in the NFL. We'll find out. But do you still believe in this dude, and how do you think he'll do this year in Tampa? Yeah, I'm always going to believe in Baker. You know, Baker's an Oklahoma Sooner, so I'm never going to count him out. That's just how I am. You can call it bias. You can say whatever you want. I don't care. I don't care how people feel about what I say. If he came from Oklahoma, I'm always going to root for him and say he can get it done. You know, he came from he came from my school. And I believe anybody who came from my school, regardless of how many times they failed, they can be winners. They can be successful. So, yeah, especially if he going to – my favorite team growing up and the franchise that I had most of my career with, yeah, I'm always going to say that that Baker can do it. So if Baker's at the helm, yes, I believe they can get it done. You know, see, the thing with Baker is he's just a fighter. People may not like the way he go about doing things. You know, he might be a shrewd operator or, you know, they may say he's arrogant or do this or do that. I'm not worried about that. Baker's a fighter, and all he wants to do is win. He wants to play well. And, you know, people ridicule him and and bash him and all that, but what he was able to do with no practice and all that with the Rams last year, like, come on, man. Like, I, I, I'm happy that Baker's in Tampa, and I'm excited to see what he can do. The, the, the names or the vets or the all-pros in Tampa will have to step up a little more, you know, to help him out a little bit, but – Baker's going to be just fine. Joe, you were talking about New York. You spent some time in New York recently. All of New York was tripping, dude, this week when Aaron Rodgers tweaked mm-hmm. his calf and he took a vet day and he sat out the rest of practice. You know, Jets fans, man, they're already scarred for life anyway. But they were like, see, see, I told you, man, I told you. That's what you get for bringing that dude in. You tell me. Are they freaking out because that's what Jets fans do? Or is there a legitimate cause for concern here? No, I'm not putting that on Jets fans. I'm putting that on fans, period. And it's okay. Like, as a player and a fan, I've, I'm a fan like the Lakers. I, I rode the roller coaster of the Lakers this play, this playoff uh, this playoff run. Like I said, before the series, they was going to beat Memphis. I said before Golden State, they was going to beat Golden State. The Denver series was the one I was worried about. But, shoot, I rode the wave. I was up, I was down. I was up, I was down. That's what fans do. Fan is short for fanatic. So people have to understand that's what a fan is going to do. If it's great, it's great. If it's bad, it's bad. It's never as good as they say. It's never as bad as they say. But that's what fans do. I'm not going to just put that on the Jets. It's all fans. All fans do that. You can find a fan base where they all do that. 
but it's early. Think about it. There's nothing else to talk about. There's nothing else to talk. If Aaron Rodgers set out on a Wednesday in season and they said limited or no activity or something like that, nobody's going to bat an eye because it's in season. Now, if he gets to Saturday and they say questionable or, you know, doubtful or something, okay, then you start panicking. But it's the offseason. It's the offseason. Let's say he did tweak his calf. He It's three and a half months to open a day. So what? <laughs> Like, you know, like, that's just what fans do. I'm not going to just be like, oh, the Jets fans is this. No, there's just nothing to talk about right now. So any news that come out, everybody's going to overreact. That's just where we at right now with it being the offseason. That is where we're at, man. I, I don't know. I, I couldn't get caught up myself. But you're right. That's what fans do. But it's like, dude, it's a midweek tweak. Dude's fine. I'm glad you brought up the Lakers. I wanted to ask you about them because I was tracking you on social media and I knew that you were on that roller coaster ride. I want to ask you something. Where do you come out on this? We talked about the Mamba. When Anthony Davis is right, this dude's a top five NBA player, but you just don't know what you're going to get from this guy from night to night. And that's when he's actually out there, right? I'm not talking about whether, like, you don't know whether or not he's going to be available. I mean, when he is available, you still don't know night to night. So my question is this, do you think this dude is a face of the franchise type that you can build around and trust for when Braun is gone? Um, that's for the organization to decide, but I can speak to the frustration of a fan. Um, when a player of his magnitude and his talent goes into a game and there's always an if, 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 or, you know, if this happens, maybe this will happen or maybe a player with his talent and his ability. And when we see him be right, there shouldn't always be a, if this happens, if that happens, if that happens, and it gets very frustrating as a fan from a organization standpoint, they got to make that decision. That ain't on me. I'm just a fan. But I know every game I watch, if I'm going into the game, like, if AD does this, if AD does that, that's frustrating. Like, it's very frustrating. But, I mean, who am I? I'm just a fan. Guys, keep yourself tight and feeling confident with new and improved Dove Men Plus Care Antiperspirant, reformulated with 72-hour sweat and odor protection and one-quarter moisturizing cream. Stop worrying about your underarms so you can be present for the moments that matter. Do not let underarm insecurities keep you at arm's distance from the ones you care about. Buy new and improved Dove Men Plus Care Antiperspirant with 72-hour sweat and odor protection wherever personal care products are sold. Yes and no, dude. Like, you're a super high-level athlete. So let me ask you this. Like, I agree with you. What is that if? The if you're talking about. What? Why is there an if with that guy? You may be a fan, but you know what it takes to compete at the highest level. Why is a guy that good and that talented have any ifs? What does the if mean? Man, you got to call Anthony Davis and ask that. Only the person who you asking in the about can answer that question. You know, I don't know. Like you take a player like Zion who has all the gifts, but and said that he was 90% ready, but he didn't feel like himself. I mean, I've been there. I've been to a point to where I've been on the field. I've practiced. I mean, really practiced. And I still felt like, nah, man, if it get live on Sunday, mm, I don't know. I've been there. You know, so you it, it's, just, it's up to the person. I don't know. Anthony Davis is the only person can answer that because – if if he's inconsistent or there's a lot of ifs, I I I don't have an answer for why it's like that. Only Anthony Davis can answer that. 
Hey, listen, I want to be very careful. I, I don't question guys' heart and what's in their head and their mind because I don't know, and it's not my place. I want to be very careful when I do that. I was kind of trying to get your mindset. I thought you just made a really interesting point about Zion when Zion said, look, I'm 90% there, but I'm not all the way there. I'm not ready. I'm not quite there. And you said, I know what mm-hmm. he's talking about. I've been there. Like, what did you do when you were 90% there, but you knew you weren't there, and that when the bullets really started to fly, you weren't sure how you were going to react did you put yourself out there and try, or did you know better than to do that? Like, how did you approach those times? Hey, man, I got a screw loose. So when I felt like I was 90%, I was going. Now, when I went, I was like, shoot, I don't know if I'm ready, but this 90 going to have to do today because I'm not missing this game. You know, that's just my mindset. Everybody ain't got that mindset. You know, I just – I was reckless. Like, I, I, I didn't – you got to put yourself in a mind frame. Like, I would do stuff – to prepare myself to not think about what I was dealing with. My daughter dislocated her finger the other day. They popped it back in place and she had a tournament uh, on Saturday. She did it on Wednesday or Thursday on Wednesday on Thursday. She had practice on Friday. She said, daddy, my finger's still a little hurt, but tomorrow I don't want to be thinking about uh, my hand. So I need to go get some shots up so I can get used to it. I said, okay, so what I started doing is when she caught passes, I would l- literally throw it at the hand where the finger was dislocated. And she was grimacing. And I said, catch the ball with that hand. And she would catch it and shoot it. Catch it and shoot it. And she was grimacing, but eventually she stopped grimacing. Eventually she just started using the hand. And I said, the reason I did that is because you need to get, like, the worry of that hand out the way now. So tomorrow you won't worry about it. It's just like I've been doing MMA training. One of the first things he did is desensitize me to getting punched. He made me put my hands behind my back. He punched me in the stomach, punched me in the face, punched me in the stomach, punched me in the face because I kept blinking. I kept closing my eyes and blinking. He was trying to desensitize and he made me keep my eyes open, keep my chin up. I mean, keep my chin down, but keep my eyes open. And it desensitized me to getting punched or getting hit. So, when I would go out on the field knowing I had an ailment or something was like not all the way a hundred that week in practice, I would purposely do stuff on that spot so I can get that out the way. Cause I, I can't afford to do that on game day. I mean, Holy shit, dude. How old is your daughter? 17. So what does mama think about that tough love? She don't get to decide. I'm the sports guy in the family. She has 90, 90- Eight percent of all the rest of the decisions. The two percent I get is the sports, dude. So MMA. Before you go, I'm really curious about that. Like, what does that do for you? Do you do that for mind, for body? Do you want to actually compete? Why are you training in MMA now? Heck, no, I don't want to compete. The thing, I, the thing that bugs me the most is when a person feels like I can go from this profession to their profession. They've been doing it for 15, 20, however long years. I can do it for a year or two and feel like I can go be a pro at what they do. People have to stop doing that. I feel like it's complete disrespect to what these people have been doing. So when they go over there and it's not successful, I'm like, okay, nobody told you to go over there anyway. So I would never do that. I'm doing it because I love the sport. And because I love it so much, I want to have an even higher respect for it. So I'm putting myself through the training. One, it'll keep me in shape. Two, I'll actually learn what they're doing and how difficult it is. So when I'm watching it, I can have an even higher respect for the sport. MMA is extremely difficult. Boxing is one thing. 
But boxers have to just focus on what they do with their hands, footwork, uh, defense, all of that. But at the same token, you don't have to worry about getting kicked. You don't have to worry about if I'm boxing or if I'm kicking, he can actually tackle me. He can use his elbows. He can do. There's so much more to MMA. And I love boxing, too. I just love contact sports, period. But MMA is so much to it. And I love it so much. I wanted to start training in it so I can even grow an even higher respect for what they do. I thought I had it before. Now that I've been training in it, it's ridiculous how I feel about this sport now because it's so technical and it is very, very, very hard to do. U.S. Cellular is introducing us mode. You know, it's kind of like airplane mode, but for people, it's a way to set up your phone so it does not get in the way of people really being with each other. Block distractions. Make way for real connections. Give it a try. Visit U.S. Cellular in-store or online, and they'll help set up your phone to us mode free, even if you're not a customer. Built for superior 5G connection and real human connection, U.S. Cellular. Built for us. Find out more at uscellular.com slash find us. Dude, I mean, it, it's preach. Preach. Like, I grew up on boxing. I was a huge boxing fan, and I still love boxing. And then I took to MMA later. Man, it is it is a different world. There are so many different disciplines. To your point, it is so technical. There are so many different ways to get beat. I actually did try to train in it for a while with a few guys, and I trained with a guy uh, named James Lightning Wilkes, and I love him. He lives not far from me. And we would train, and we'd get on the mat, and he'd get on top of me, and I'd be like, man... I'm not really comfortable doing this. And his response to me was, you better get comfortable doing this because if you're ever in the street and it ever goes to the ground, you are dead. Get back on the mat. So I did what anybody would do, Gerald. I just quit. But anyway, to your point, to your point, leave me with this thought. You played in the NFL, extremely violent sport. Talk about the different breed that it takes, however, to get inside that cage, to climb into the octagon, because to me, that's a breed apart. Yeah, well, um, for me, my mentality was I'm going to hit you before you hit me. Um, and when I'm being attacked, I attack back. That's my defense mechanism. Well, in MMA, it's the same. A lot of people would think, okay, I'm getting attacked. I need to dodge, avoid. Or no, no. In order to stop an attack, you have to attack. Okay, now the difference is there is a technique and a way to do it. But in football, we have shoulder pads. We have we don't like to wear them, but we have to wear thigh pads, knee pads. Um, quarterbacks have flag jackets and rear protectors, and we wear helmets and all this stuff. Man, you are getting in there, getting punched and elbowed and kneed and all this stuff, man. That is a different breed of toughness. I don't care what nobody talking about. These football players can get up here front and all they want. This dude tough, and he tough, and he tough, and he tough. Man, he is tough out there. With protection on him, you are not getting elbow to the face. I don't care. The biggest, strongest, fastest lineman in the NFL is not gonna willingly go in there and get elbowed in the face. You're not doing it. It's too, it's too dangerous. And if you don't know what you're doing, you will get hurt. But these guys, they are so good at what they do. Even if you see a person like, oh, he don't win a lot, or his record's not the best. Put him in there with anybody else that is not of his caliber and he will embarrass you because they are so good at what they do. So like 
the mindset of a football player, yes, I think in training camp, we have to go play a game every day. That's how I approach training camp. And it's very difficult, and you have to do it. But they have to train. They have to do sparring. They do boxing. They, they're sparring. You might just do boxing here. You might do kicking. You might do wrestling. But then you got all the conditioning you have to do. Some people run for miles. Some people swim. Some people, it's so many different techniques to being in shape to get in there. And most people just do 15 minutes. Most people just do 15 minutes. The championship fights is 25. Man, have you ever been in a street fight? You get tired after 10. 10, 15 seconds and you've done. These dudes is fighting for 15 minutes, 25 minutes with a minute rest in between each five minutes. Heck no. No, they can have it. I love it. I respect it, but I will never do that. Man, I'm going to walk off on that. I'm going to walk off on that. I love that. Dude, listen, I love, love your mindset. I love your process. I love your energy. I am really eager to see what you do next. I have always appreciated you, Gerald, and I really appreciate the conversation. You showed up the way you always do, my man. Thank you so much for that. I appreciate it. It was awesome to get caught up. Jim, thank you, man. Always. Anytime, brother. So how can you not absolutely love this dude and his infectious energy and his passion for everything? It's contagious. I cannot wait to see what his next move is going to be because you will never, ever catch me doubting him. He will crush whatever it is. And on top of that, you can book that he is going to bring that same exact energy and passion to whatever it is. My enormous thanks to Gerald. That was absolutely awesome. And conversations like that are the entire reason that I started this podcast in the first place. Premium, extended, unfiltered one-on-ones that you simply cannot get anywhere else. And if you're interested in more, there are over 260 episodes banked and waiting for you. Plus, if you take one second and subscribe, you will be the first to know when the next one does drop. So consider finding and smashing that subscription button, and I will catch you all next week right here on the Jim Rohn Podcast. Peace.